If you don't have a Bible on your phone, you might want to grab one from at the back. There are a few Bibles there. My lovely assistant Renee is holding them up for you. Uh, Come and grab a physical Bible if you don't have one on your phone or your iPad. If you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to give you a Bible. Please come and see me after the service. We'll gift you a Bible today. You can go home with a Bible today. Church in the Marketplace has a wide range of Bibles we can give you. If you or a neighbor doesn't have a Bible in their home, we would like to remedy that. But this morning, if you don't have a Bible, you can take one just for today up the back. We're going to be in John's Gospel. We're going to be in the very first chapter of John, John chapter 1, the mighty John chapter 1. We're going to be hearing about the the next stage after Jesus' baptism. We heard about last week, if you were here uh, last week. But I want to start off by asking you uh, a question. And I want to see a show of hands. Uh, Hands up if if you would like to be an evangelist. Hands up if you want to be an evangelist. There's a few, there's a smattering. Thank you, faithful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands down. But that's just as I thought. People are a little bit tentative to raise their hands at that question of whether or not they're, they're keen to be an evangelist. Uh, evangelism has indeed become a bit of a scary word for those of us in the Western church. We don't always want to be associated with evangelism these days. I think many of us are a little bit gun-shy when it comes to evangelism. We perhaps see it as something that has been done very badly and fair enough. It often has been done poorly in the past. The church hasn't always done evangelism well. People are shy about evangelism. Some people think it shouldn't even take place. In fact, whole congregations or even denominations have all but forgotten about evangelism. Some people even see it as sort of an arrogant thing to do, as a sort of a sanctimonious thing to do, as a sort of a paternalistic thing to do, that everyone should just keep to themselves, that everyone should just keep their own beliefs, and that sharing your own beliefs or, or trying to share your faith with somebody else actually shouldn't happen. And, and some people would even perhaps have it outlawed, as indeed it is in many parts of the world today. Uh, you know, communist countries, for example, outlaw evangelism or sharing of your faith. They understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ does have the power to change lives. They don't want their people having any allegiance above the state. They know that followers of Jesus make Jesus their Lord, the boss of their life, placing them above their loyalty even to the state. So it can be a threatening thing. But even forget on a national level, even just in your own life, I have seen it done poorly. Sometimes, let's be honest, church, the church hasn't been particularly good at evangelism, but sometimes it's been hectoring or or badging it. Sometimes has been condescending. It sometimes does have a hint of being spoken down to. And sometimes I've found myself cringing every once in a while at how so-called evangelists go about their business. Well, if you share that concern, if you share that hesitancy, as I suspect most of us do today, then I've got good news this morning. I've got good news about how to share the good news. It needn't be oppressive. It needn't be hectoring. It needn't be arm-twisting. It is simply a case of paying attention. Firstly, paying attention to what God is doing, paying attention to the people around you, and being willing to share your story in your own words. That is what we're going to be looking at this morning. From John uh, chapter 1, how to share the good news or the gospel. You hear this word, a churchy word, the gospel. It just comes from old English, the good spiel. comes down from the Greek evangel, or euangelion. 
simply meaning good news. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. If you wanted to share the good news of Jesus, uh, our passage this morning has some really good practical tips for us. Let's open up to John chapter 1, starting at verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day... John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Then the two disciples heard him, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing, verse 41, the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. He found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses uh, wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Friends, let's pray. Yes, loving Lord, we pray that this morning you might bring this scripture to light, that you might help us to learn from it and indeed apply it in our lives. Help us to not just be, to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. In Jesus' name, people said, Amen. Last week we heard about John the Baptist baptizing Jesus in the River Jordan, launching Jesus' ministry. Uh, and here we have John, the next, and this, is the, this is the next chapter, this is the very next stage. Here we have John simply telling us about what happened. We have John proclaiming, giving his story, sharing his story about what he saw, about what he knows. He's saying, look, here's what I saw, 
Here's what I experienced for myself. Here's what I can tell you about this fellow Jesus. I want us uh, to note that the first thing that John is doing in our opening section from this reading is that he's pointing away from himself towards Jesus. Now, understand the context here. John is a rock star preacher at this point. John has flocks, crowds coming at him out in the desert. So he's quite popular by this stage, but he realizes there's one coming who must take precedence even in his own life. Even in his own life, Jesus must be number one. So I want you to see here that John, right, pretty, pretty popular fellow in his own right, is in fact saying, no, 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 it's not about me, and he's pointing people towards Jesus. This is so important. This is so fundamental in the life of a follower of Jesus. And it is such a challenge, particularly in our day where it's all about bringing attention to me. Look at me. Have a look at me on social media. Bring glory to me. Here I am in a beautiful spot. It's always been a problem, however, down through the generations, the self rises up. You want to bring glory to me or be all about my agenda and my stuff and what I want to achieve and getting my way, doing what I want to do. But John pointing away from himself towards, towards Jesus. He's not seeking the limelight at all. He's not seeking the limelight at all. It is very easy, even in churches, I think, to come to church and think that it's all about me. I'm going to church this morning so that I can be blessed. Or what can I hope I get something out of church today? Now, as the minister, I'm responsible, and I certainly hope that you do get something out of gathering together at church on a Sunday. But I would also hope that you come with an attitude of seeking to serve rather than be served. Seeking to, to say, well, this actually isn't about me this morning. I'm looking to be part of the body of Christ and, and to bless others and, and to serve others. But John gets it. It's our first little takeaway. He's pointing away from himself towards Jesus. He does it on two occasions, did you notice? He repeats it, right? In both verse 29 and 36, he says, look. Some translations say, behold the Lamb of God. He's just saying in modern Aussie lingo, check it out. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this phrase. It's a churchy kind of jargony phrase, the Lamb of God. Those of us that have been in churches for a few years kind of get it and understand it, but for the punters on the street, I, I think it's a little bit foreign. So you need to understand that for John's first listeners, for that first century Jewish people, the phrase the Lamb of God had great meaning, had great power. Their mind would have gone straight away to the Passover. We're going to be spending some time in Exodus this first term, leading up to Easter. When Jews talk about the Lamb of God, their mind would have automatically gone to passages like Isaiah where it talks about the, the, the Lamb who is silent before his shear is being led to the slaughter to take upon himself the iniquities and the sorrows of his people. It would have gone to passages like the Passover during the Exodus when the Lamb gave its life, the blood of a Lamb was smeared over the door frames of God's people so that they might be spared from when the angel of death came through Egypt. That's where their mind would have gone. This is the Lamb of God. Jesus is our Lamb of God who paid the price for our sins in order that we might be freed, in order that we might be liberated. It's a free gift, freely given. He pays the price for our sin. There's any number of ways of communicating this truth. I saw one just this week. Find one that works for you. I saw one just this week, another example, 
there is an estimated $40 billion, with a B, $40 billion worth, just in the US alone, of unclaimed gift vouchers out there. You know, when you give a, has anyone ever given a gift voucher at Christmas or received a gift voucher last Christmas? There's $40 billion worth of unclaimed gifts out there floating about. The gospel, one way of illustrating might be to say, look, it's like an unclaimed gift voucher. It's a gift, freely given. You didn't have to earn it. It was given to you out of love. Claim it. Use it for yourself. That's just one example that I saw this week. There's any number of different ways of explaining the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has paid the price for our sins to wash us clean, to make us acceptable to God, to reconcile us with God, to heal that broken relationship with God that came about as a result of our sin. You need to be able to put that in your own words simply uh, as, as John does here, pointing away from himself and towards Jesus. Now, as a result of this little testimony, it gives his testimony. Remember, you can't argue with someone's testimony. You can argue with theology, but you can't argue with someone's story. He's saying, here's what I saw. I was baptizing, here's what I saw. Here's what I know. Pointing away from himself, simply telling his story in his own words. Anyone can do that. It must have been convincing because two of his disciples decide to leave John, who, remember, by the way, popular preacher already, leave John and start to follow Jesus. Here's the next little learning point here. Jesus turns around and notices them following him. Back in the day, you would literally follow your rabbi down the road. So this phrase, becoming a follower of Jesus, is one that I use to describe myself because it's free of churchy baggage, I think. Out there on the street, I describe myself as a follower of Jesus. Even this phrase, Christian, I think can sometimes be a bit problematic. I just go back to the, I just look, I'm a follower of Jesus. And back in the day, you would literally follow your rabbi along the dusty roads. And there was even some scholars suggest a saying back in the day, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So they would literally follow their rabbi, their teacher down the road. Jesus notices them. He, he, he's, he's aware of what's happening. And he notices and he asks, what do you want? Another little takeaway for us this morning when it comes to evangelism. He asks a question. It's a really good idea to be asking people questions rather than just bombarding them with a monologue. Don't give them a sermon, but engage in a conversation. What's people's favorite topic to talk about? What is it? Themselves. Ask them a question about themselves. Engage them. Don't be this person. You know that person that's always banging on about themselves. Ask them a question about them. Jesus asks, what do you want? A very simple question. They respond with, where are you staying? I.e., we want to be with you, Jesus. We want to follow you, Jesus. And he responds with this simple invitation. Well, come along and you will see. I love that. I love that. That's why I've titled this message, Come and See. It's a simple invitation. With Jesus, there's never any arm twisting, never any bullying, never any intimidation. It's a simple invitation. You know what? Come and see. Come and check it out for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Come and see. Come and, and, and see. I love that. I love that. As the story continues, and, and again, it, we see the very next thing. One of those two disciples was Andrew, the disciple Andrew. And what's actually told, the very next thing that he does, the text is, the very next thing that he does is that he goes and gets his brother. So he goes and, and gets his brother by the name of Simon, 
And he, he gives his testimony. Again, Andrew just gives a simple testimony. We have found the Messiah. We've found the chosen one. We, hey, Pete, we've, Simon was his name then. Simon, we've found the one. Come and see. Again, a simple invitation. Here's what I know. Here's what I experience in my own simple words. I'm issuing you with an invite to come and meet Jesus. Come and come and see for, for yourself. I want to spend a moment talking about Andrew because Andrew is just an ordinary guy. I hear all the time, oh, I could never do that, Pete. Oh, I'm not an evangelist. Or I'm not good with words. Or, or no, I don't know enough. I haven't been given the correct license or I don't know my boat. Andrew was a fisherman. Fishermen were not top of the pops when it comes to, you know, cleverness. He wouldn't have been top of his class. Otherwise, he would have been skimmed off the top and been trained for the priesthood. The fact that these disciples were fishermen means that they were ordinary fellows, ordinary blokes. And even in his own family... What's Andrew most famous for being? Peter's brother. <laughs> right, Peter is the rock upon which Christ would build his church. He's mentioned 153 times in the New Testament. He wrote two of the letters. Peter is a giant. He's a rock star. Andrew is an ordinary fisherman. He's the ordinary bloke. But you know what? Jesus chose the ordinary bloke, didn't he? Jesus is the ordinary bloke that Jesus called. And it's this ordinary bloke, Andrew, that then goes and gets his brother, Simon, and Simon is transformed. He's given a new identity in Christ. Jesus names him Peter. So he is transformed by this encounter. So please don't tell me I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm just an ordinary person. I, 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 you know, I, I, I see people, I hear people tell that to me. And in a church setting, they're quiet and reserved. But then I see them out in a social setting, out at a party or down at the club, and they're social animals. You too can be a, a, an evangelist. You too can simply tell what you know, say what you experience in your own words with the people that you know, the people that you're around. But Jesus isn't finished yet. The story continues. Uh, the story continues. And... Uh, and Jesus finds Philip. So the story continues, and uh, he finds Philip. And again, I love this. Simple words, follow me, is the simple invitation. A couple of words, follow me. I love that. Just an invitation to come and to follow. Come and see for yourself. Experience it for yourself. Like I said, I simply call myself a, a follower of, of Jesus. Philip, in turn, then goes and finds Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel has this wonderful little, this famous little interchange uh, with, with Philip, and you can almost see him rolling his eyes. He, he goes, and again, Philip is simply telling what he knows. We've found the one. We've found the Messiah or the Christ, the anointed one. God's chosen one is what that word means. The one that Moses and the prophets all spoke about. Nathaniel, we've found him. We've found him. It's, it's, it's Jesus from Nazareth, and you can almost see Nathaniel rolling his eyes, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's a bit dubious. Now, I was going to, I'm wondering, what is the eastern suburbs equivalent of Nazareth? Anyone dare to mention a suburb? <laughs> Mexico. I was, well, I'll tell you what, I'll be, I'll, be, uh, I'll be nice and say, I'm from Maroubra. They might say, Maroubra? Has anything good come out of Maroubra? 
Bronte? Does anything good ever come out of Bronte? <laughs> Nazareth was a backwater. Nazareth was not known for being a particularly great center of trade or commerce or culture. So the Nathaniel's a bit skeptical about it. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And again, I love Philip's response. Have a look. What does he say? Come and see. Nathaniel's skeptical about this fellow. Philip says, well, that's okay. Fair enough. Come and see. Come and check it out for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Come and experience this Jesus. Come and meet him for yourself. So a few quick little takeaways and applications from these series of little interchanges from John the Baptist and then Jesus himself and then between the disciples. Um, firstly, know that you need to be paying attention, paying attention to what God has, has done. That's why I asked you to chat to your neighbor earlier about, you know, where have you seen God move in your life? Maybe this week can I challenge you to be paying attention to what God is doing. In this new year, maybe just be willing to listen in a little bit harder, lean in a little bit more into what God is doing in your world, around you. Pay attention to what God is doing. And you know what? Pay attention to the people around you. Again, it's so frustrating when people who name Christ as their Lord and their Savior really aren't aware of what's happening around them. When their fellow believers are struggling and, and they don't even really know about it. Church in the marketplace, we're not a mega church. We really should be aware of what's happening uh, around us. If you're going through something, I'd love to know. We would love to know. Please let the elders know. We don't have to let the entire church family know, but please help us carry your burden. Pay attention to what's happening around you. Pay attention to the needs of people around you and look for those little opportunities, those little invitations. One of the best things I ever did was I spent a summer at Raw North Shore Hospital doing a, a chaplaincy. I was a fairly green when I entered the, the ministry, fairly a young fellow. Hadn't even known anyone that had ever died. Like I'd lived a charmed life till I was about 30. Like grandparents still alive. And so I hadn't really even experienced death. So they sent me to Royal North Shore Hospital for a summer, which I didn't appreciate very much. But uh, I tell you what, I learned heaps. And I learned how to just listen, to pay attention. I learned to get out of the way, to let my ego, to let Pete Chapman get out of the way and just let the person talk. And to listen to those little cues, those little invitations. If you're listening in, you will hear them. And a person wants to keep the conversation level talking about the weather or sport, that's fine. But every once in a while they'll mention something, an invitation to take the conversation deeper. Be on the lookout. Listen for those little invitations that some, maybe someone you know wants to have a, a chat about things deeper than simply the weather or the latest sport results. Be on the lookout. You'll hear them if you're listening. So listen out. Pay attention. Know about the power of testimony. No one can argue with your story. You can argue theology all day long, but when I tell you what happened to me, what I experienced, no one can, uh, no one can really, no one can argue with that, can they? So be prepared to maybe just make sure that you can tell your story about why you're a follower of Jesus. I just, in my own, very quickly in my own story, I just... My mind sort of works in a way that says, I like to think things through and, and follow things through logically. And I worked out that 100 years after I die, no one's going to care. 
No one's going to know. It gets to be a bit of a downer, right? But we all pass away. No one's going to know. No one's going to care. And I worked out that without faith, without God, my life was pretty meaningless, as a matter of life. This life is actually meaningless without God. There's no up or down. There's actually no right or wrong. There's no morality, really, without a foundation of, of faith. And so I, as a result, I can tell people that my story is that I've yielded my life to Christ, given my life to Christ, and as a result, my life has an eternal meaning, an eternal purpose, an eternal calling. It doesn't make my life easy. It doesn't mean I don't suffer. It doesn't mean there's no hardships. But it means all of those things now have a meaning and a purpose. I live with eternity in mind. You find your own words. Go find whatever it is that speaks to you and be, make sure you've got it in your back pocket and you can bring it out whenever you need to, whenever you hear those little invitations to take a conversation deeper into the things of, of eternity. Make sure it's always invitational. Make sure it's just issuing an invitation. Issuing an invitation the turn or burn kind of theology. I don't think that's really helpful in 2023, right? I think it's always got to be an invitation. The other thing, I think contextually these days, don't make it pie in the sky when you die. People want results here and now. It's part of our postmodern mindset. We want immediate gratification. I can tell you that making the decision to become a follower of Jesus was the best decision I ever made. Doesn't make life perfect or rosy, but it, it, but I'm so glad that I made the decision to be a follower of, of Jesus. So it's always invitational. Ask some questions. So there's some little tips from from these stories. So let me close by asking you a few questions and a bit of a story to close. What what are your God moments? John had a powerful testimony, but what are yours? What do you know? What have you experienced? What could you share with others that they might want to, to hear about? What, what, can you, what do you have to offer? Who can, do you have around you that might need to hear your story? Who perhaps do you need to pay attention to in 2023? Perhaps you haven't actually made the decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ yet. Can I ask you, what are you living for? What is it that you actually are wanting out of life? Can I encourage you to commit your life to Christ? It will be the best decision that you ever make. That's my testimony. For those of us that are, have crossed the threshold into faith, how can you be sharing your faith in 2023? Church, we need more evangelists. We need ordinary people like you and me. Don't need a degree don't need a special invitation. You don't need to be specially commissioned by the church. You can do it where you are, among the people that you know and you interact with. Can I leave you with a story about uh, an evangelist? The year is 1934. 1934 in the southern US. I believe the story is actually from North Carolina. A young fellow, a young farmer by the name of Albert McMakin. Albert McMakin became a Christian, young farmer. Albert McMakin, young 24-year-old. He was so full of enthusiasm that he used to fill up his truck full of his mates and take them to uh, big revival meetings and church meetings who loved his, wanted to make sure that all of his buddies got to hear about this fellow Jesus, that he had made the Lord of, of his life. The trouble was there was another local farmer's son there 
uh, who uh, was a bit resistant. He didn't want to come to church. He was too busy out chasing young girls, so goes the story. Um, he didn't seem to be interested in Christianity at all, but Albert McMakin kept on this young fellow's case and eventually persuaded his mate to jump in the truck and to head off to a church. When they arrived, Albert's guest decided to go in and found himself spellbound by the teaching from the Bible. He began to have thoughts that he'd never known before. And he started going back each night, night after night to these meetings, to hear more until one night he went forward and gave his life to Jesus Christ. That young farmer's boy, does anyone know who I'm talking about? What was his name? Billy Graham. Billy Graham preached to 250 million people throughout his life. He was brought to faith by an ordinary farm boy by the name of Albert McMakin in 1934. Friends, the church needs more Albert McMakins and it needs more of you. It needs more of all of us to be doing our job, to be proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, issuing the invitation to come and see and be transformed. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we indeed need your help this morning. We need your help this week. We need your help this coming year. We can't do this in our own strength. It's only you that has the power to change lives, to change hearts, to change lives, Heavenly Father. But we do pray that you'll help us to be bold enough to issue the invitation, to tell those around us, come and see. Help us to be living in a way that is invitational, Father Francis of Assisi said, share the good news at all times. If necessary, use words. Help us to use our words, but also in our actions, Father. May they be drawing people to you. Help us to be paying attention. Help us to be looking for those little invitations. Help us to be spotting those opportunities, those God moments in life. Help us to be gracious Help us to be loving, help us to be bold and courageous this year as we issue the invitation to come and see. In Jesus' name, the people said, Amen. Amen. I'm just going to spend a moment in uh, a quick prayer for our world. Our world is indeed in, uh, in, in a need of prayer. Are there any particular prayer requests this morning? Uh, please make sure you've got the person's permission to share before you do share it publicly, but I'm sure um, Narelle uh, would be very appreciative of your prayers as they say farewell uh, to, to Gwen, so you're remembering that family. Are there any other particular prayer requests today? Yep. So, uh, Jono's home, um, but we can... John has uh, had a stint in hospital and our brother in Christ is recovering and doing well, but he's appreciative of his prayers and he's very appreciative of the love of his wife who... <laughs> we love you, brother. We love you, brother. Yes, Maureen. Yes. Yes. Yep, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, for those of you who can't hear it online, uh, we can be praying for the situation with Russia and, uh, and the Ukraine. Yes, Maria? Yes, I want to ask him a prayer for the ungodly. Yes, the ungodly. The loss might be found. Yes, good prayer. Great prayer. Let's pray. Yeah, loving Lord, our, our heart is broken for the mess that the world is in. We know your heart is similarly broken. So we pray that you might join our hearts with yours and join our will to yours in, in bringing peace and life and hope and joy bringing your peace, the peace that the world cannot give, Lord, to this world. We lift up to you the world stage. In particular, we think of the people in the Ukraine, the people of Russia engaged in this war. Bring peace, we pray. May calmer heads prevail. We pray that men and women who are wise will be in control. We pray that men and women who seek to bring healing and peace to our world will have an influence with decision makers there. Protect the innocent, we pray. Restore broken homes, broken families, broken hearts. We pray for peace in our world. We pray for the, the ungodly, for the broken hearted, for those who don't yet know you, Father. There are so many people in the world who are yet to come to a saving, life-giving relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. Help we, your church, to be issuing that invitation to come and see the life abundant that is freely given to all, freely offered to all. May we be the answer to our prayers this week. For those who are grieving, for those who are hurting, Father, come and bring comfort, we pray. We, pray, we lift up to you our dear sister Narelle and for her family. We pray that as they farewell their mother and, and grandmother that they may know your peace, Father. Reveal yourself to them, we pray. Father, we lift up to you our dear brother Jono. We pray that you'll continue the healing, the healing work that you've begun. May he be fit and strong and well in order that he might continue to serve you, we pray. Father, you know our prayers, you know our hurts, you know our fears. So for all of our prayers, both those that have been spoken this morning as well as those said in silence, we hand them over to you, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come and bring healing. Come and bring peace. In Jesus' name, the people said, Amen.